You will have heard the joke about the importance of having Christmas in your hearts all year round, because it will definitely be on your bank statement all year round. That we focus so much on external things at this time of year. We focus on the things we need to get ready, the trappings, the tinsel, the wrapping paper, the presents we need to buy, the food we need to prepare, the turkey we need to order, whatever it might be. And so often, in amongst all of that, even though we perhaps don't want to get caught up, it can so easily take over. And so as we think about unwrapping Christmas just for a few minutes... Mary's song, which is a beautiful, stunning bit of the Bible, has four kind of key things that are worth us remembering. And Judy and I are going to tag team it, and we're going to do one each after each other. Her song helps us all unwrap Christmas in a new way, and there's four things. And here's the first one as we unwrap Christmas. That Christmas challenges power. Largely, we live in a nation in which we like the underdog, don't we? Watch any sporting event where you're neutral. Most of us favor the underdog. We're a nation that values the underdog. We like the plucky fighting spirit of the one who has the odds against them. Whether it's in sport, whether it's in Strictly, whether it's letting children win board games at Christmas, whatever it might be, we like the underdog. We in the UK, I think, don't like people misusing power. And actually, throughout this election, you've seen all sorts of critiquing about abuses of power. Have you ever asked where that idea comes from? Let's read again some of Mary's words. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. Throughout history, most worldviews and most religious systems favor the strong. They are the ones who are sought, thought to be blessed. Those with power. Think of the Roman era. Who were the blessed, favored sons of God? The emperors with the power. The powerful warriors were the ones who were considered blessed. When nations went to war, they invoked their gods to give power to the warriors. And so in steps a very different savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. One of the books this year that is in a lot of people's Christmas lists, it's certainly been very popular, it's Waterstone's book of the year, is this book, Dominion by Tom Holland. Just out of interest, has anyone read it? Interesting. Tom Holland is not Spider-Man, different Tom Holland. Tom Holland is a historian, written a lot of work on Roman Empire and lots of things in the ancient world, uh, based in Oxford. He's not a Christian. He was brought up in church, and then, like many people, kind of went away from it throughout his teenage years and kind of university career and adult life and so on. However, he admits something astonishing. Because in all of his study of the classical world, something sat really uneasily with him. 
Because he realized the worlds that he was studying were so very different from our world today. Because the world, the Roman Empire and Sparta and Persian Empire and all of that that he's an expert in favor the strong. And yet in our society, we favor and care for the vulnerable. Whereas down through history, the vulnerable hold people back and so are discarded. And of course, he then begins a journey in this book where he lays out for us all that fundamentally, whether we would call ourselves a Christian or not, our values are Christian. And he traces it back both to Genesis, where all are considered equal in the image of God, and of course, the Christmas story, where we have God himself stepping in not as a mighty warrior, but as a tiny baby. Christmas poses a question for those with power. In the words of Oswald Chambers, beware of posing as a profound person, God became a baby. So who has the power in our society? Politicians, the media, the educated, the wealthy. Christmas challenges power because God himself sent his son, a humble infant. Christmas challenges power. That's the first thing. Judy's going to look at the second. So thinking of Mary herself and what she must have felt like, uh, Christmas confronts control. She's a teenager, the reports say she was just under 15 years old, and she finds out she's pregnant. She was low social status already. Can you imagine her surrendering to say, okay, God, I'll go with this, knowing that she's already low in age, low in status, and actually accepting that God is in control. In these verses, she declares, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And in our lives, things happen to us that are totally beyond our control. We get sick, a relationship ends, we lose a job. And we have no control over that. I was walking with a friend yesterday and we were saying, actually, sometimes they're the most powerful times in our lives because we only have prayer. That's the only thing we have. I often think of Peter's words, where else would I go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. And Mary is powerless. She has no control over her situation. And what this song represents is almost really a sacrifice of praise that says you have always been good through the generations and you will be good to me and this baby. And she references Abraham, who was also promised that generation after generation 
would be blessed uh, in line with him. And so there is something for us in this beautiful song today to say, what is it that actually is out of our control at the moment? And how can we, in our own hymn of praise, say, God, you've been good to me in the past. I trust you in the future. And prayer is often all we've got. As a nation, I feel at the moment, sometimes it feels like it's all we've got. As a church, in a tough time in the last few months, we've been very aware that prayer is the work. We need God more than ever. So much so, in fact, that you will see on your chairs or you will have been handed out by one of our beautiful little Santa's helpers, uh, one of these um, little bookmarks about three days of intensive prayer and fasting for the new year, uh, starting uh, on Sunday, the 5th of January and going through to the 7th of January, where there will be numerous opportunities for us to gather uh, in our groups, uh, in our homes, uh, and in our wider gatherings to pray and fast together. Uh, I was at a, a meeting this week where I heard an incredible story that made my heart rise again over this area of control. And uh, what it was, as years ago, I went to Dubai on a mission trip, and it was probably one of the toughest missions I've ever done. Some might laugh at that, thinking, well, Dubai's a pretty nice place to go. But it was spiritually very tough. It's, uh, for those of you who know, it's a very, very integrated country in some ways, but a very polarized country in others. And while we were there, we visited a school which is integrated between Catholic and Muslim, and uh, they, they all sort of live together fairly happily. But there are a group of Christian teachers that for years now, and I mean years because it's a long time since I went, have been getting up at 4.30 in the morning and praying for two hours that people will know Christ in that school. And they've been praying with seemingly very little happening and things going wrong. And then three weeks ago, uh, from Salt Mine Trust, another trip went out to the same school. Uh, we're doing a performance. And at the end, a child put his hand up and said, while you were performing, I saw someone. Is it Jesus? And he saw a vision at the front of that hall. And he said, I saw someone who wasn't an actor. He was glowing. Was it Jesus? And then other hands went up and they said, I saw him too. And there are about 12 children that saw the same vision of Jesus at the front of that school. And the imam was brought in and he interviewed each child separately and got exactly the same account of what the person looked like, his demeanor, what he was wearing, the whole thing. Now, we can be skeptical about that or not, or we can say that is the power of prayer. And that's the power of sacrifice. That's the power of getting up at 4.30, isn't it? We don't like that bit. But actually, that's intense prayer. And as we come to a new year, as we look at Mary's song, it is a prayer it is her saying, look, as for me, I trust you, God. You have control uh, over all things, and you are in control. Uh, this week, I met one of the chaplains at the children's hospital. Uh, some of you know some of them who do that brilliant work with children who are dying and um, with their parents uh, and children who are very sick. And he always keeps in his pocket, as he goes around visiting each of the children and the families, what is called a holding cross. 
And he keeps it in his trouser pocket. And sometimes as he's praying for the children, he hangs on to it. But many times he keeps giving them away. And he always has a spare one in his other pocket to give away. Because he gives them to the family and to the children and says two things. Hold on to Jesus. When everything else spirals out of control, hold on to Jesus. But the second thing that the holding cross says is you are held. You are held. In all you're facing, in all you're going through, in all that Mary was facing, she was held in the arms of the living God. So Christmas confronts control. It confronts it in that Mary was powerless. And yet she said, well, God, you've got me. You've got my rope. You've got my life. And so we can really surrender at the start of the new year as we pray together intensively, surrender that control to him. So Christmas challenges power. It confronts control. But also something else is very noticeable in Mary's song. Christmas shatters our pride, doesn't it? But when I was growing up, I had one job at Christmas, and it was a job I loved. My job was to give out the presents on Christmas Day. Around the Christmas tree, I had the task of going and getting all the presents and then giving them to everyone and to grandma and all that sort of stuff. So much so that I made myself a little badge called Present Giver Outer. It was quite a moment in my life story. But the reason I loved it was because as I was giving out the presents, I could see which ones were for me. As I was giving them out, I could hold and watch my pile growing whilst I was quickly giving other people's out. And of course, that's true for many of us, isn't it, through life. Really, we want to give other people their stuff, but so often it's about me. I remember when uh, Claire, my wife, and I got married, going to their family for the first Christmas that I'd been there, and seeing, of course, how family traditions differ. My family, when we were growing up, we'd give out all the presents, and then we'd kind of say, go, after after the queen had done her speech. Good monarchists that we are. And then we would all just go, and we'd be ripping it apart, and no one would be watching anyone else. They'd just be going through all their stuff. Whereas Claire's family, way more disciplined, apart from they didn't listen to the Queen's speech, but you can take that (laughs) up with her. They would give out one present, and then they'd watch. They'd watch that person opening that present, and then they'd say, brilliant, thank you very much, and then it would move to the next person. You'd take it in turns. Can I be honest? As a grown man... That was difficult to take, that particular tradition. Why? Because my family's tradition meant that I could get my stuff now. Rather than having to wait for other people before me. And of course, now that we have our own children, which of those traditions do we do? Not mine. (laughs) Christmas shatters pride, doesn't it? Look at what Mary says and sings. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Christmas shatters pride. Why? Because we have to confront the fact that we need a savior whether we realize it or not. 
God himself saw our need and did something about it. All of us saw the tragic events just the other week on London Bridge. And the tragedy that surrounded it was also met with the astonishing bravery of those guys that stepped in to kind of battle for others. And rightly, those guys were praised. Why? Because they were trying to rescue on behalf of other people. And in a sense, like every rescue story, that's a little snapshot of Christmas, isn't it? Somebody stepping in on behalf of others, even at their own cost. And many of us, if we're honest, live lives in which we don't think we need a rescuer. It is about us. We want our stuff and we want it now. We, if we're honest, are the gods of our own lives. But Christmas shatters that pride because God himself sees our need. Because left to our own devices, we don't make a particularly good job of it, do we? And so we see God, because of his love for us, scattering those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. And as Jesus, as an infant, we realize that we need a saviour. And therefore, when we look at others, we are no better or no worse than them. We all are sinners in need of an amazing saviour, God himself. So, Christmas challenges power, it confronts control, it shatters our pride. And then there's one final thing that Judy's going to unlock for us. Well, interestingly, uh, Tim mentioned what happened on, uh, on London Bridge, uh, tragically, just uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, I remember the mayor standing and saying into the camera that those who had rescued, those who had intervened, are the very best of us. And then, of course, came in the reports that they were ex-offenders. One was still tagged. Uh, in a way, society might have said they're the very worst of us. And I found that hugely moving. And when one of them was interviewed, he couldn't quite believe the attention he was getting for just stepping in with courage um, and uh, rescuing, as Tim said. And the lovely thing about the Christmas message for me is this last point, that Christmas promotes the outsider. It was the outsiders that were involved, and they were asked to enter in to the greatest story of all. It was shepherds, lowly and scruffy, and out on the hills that were brought in. It was foreign kings that were brought in. It was people from other nations that were brought in. And the message of Christmas promotes the outsider. Mary, in every way, in her gender, in her age, in her status, was an outsider. And yet she's the protagonist, the central character, almost in the Christian story, apart from baby Jesus, obviously. Um, so it's massive. It's an absolutely massive reversal of all of the things that perhaps we hear daily, see daily. And I believe one of the challenges for us as we hear Mary's song and as it resonates with us is how do we do this? How do we promote the outsider? How do we welcome the stranger in? How do we, in our humility, do things even this Christmas that say you are welcome because this message of forgiveness and hope and being held is for every one of us but there are many people 
who still feel outside of his love. I was very moved. I don't know how many of you follow Dan Walker on Twitter, um, but he's great on Twitter. He is in some you know, fairly uh, healthy debates. He's a sports presenter who's a, a Christian who's been very honest. He's had some flack in the BBC, nearly lost his job at one point over proclaiming that he was an evangelical Christian. Uh, he went to visit a guy called uh, Terence this week uh, to give him a Christmas tree. Terence lives alone, has mental health problems and has never had his own tree and uh, went round with a tree and also with some students from the nearby college to sing Silent Night, which Terence had told them was his favourite carol. And uh, he steps outside, not only do they give him the tree, but these young students of every nation are there singing to Terence and it absolutely floors him, actually floored Dan Walker as well. But he said, for me, this is the message of Christmas. It's those who feel outside of love, outside of community, being brought in. Uh, We sang earlier in the carol, didn't we? Enter in, be born in us today. There's something about entering in. There's something about being actually included. Mary says at the end, he has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. What a brilliant message for us, Uh, particularly in a week where everything seems a little bit to be spiraling out of control. You may think that, you may not. But certainly it recharges us and recommissions us. I was thrilled this week to hear that New Street again are opening up the whole station for a Christmas meal for the homeless. Those are the beautiful moments. Those are the kingdom moments moments that are still very prevalent uh, in our nation and are to be celebrated. Tim Keller talks about the beautiful hidden message of Christmas and he says, we were never an obvious choice like Mary. We were the outsider brought in and he says, may we never lose the astonishment that we of all people should be loved and embraced by the grace of the living God. Christianity is something God does in us. It's not our achievement, it's his. It wasn't Mary's achievement that she got pregnant. It wasn't even Joseph's. It was God. And yet, she's able to magnify him, trust him, glorify him, and declare that not only will she be blessed, but nation after nation, generation after generation. And that's us. That's us that we have this same blessing, we have this same forgiveness, cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. I'm just going to read a a prayer that I'm fond of, which um, used to be used, I think, in the covenant prayer service by John Wesley. And uh, maybe we could just be still and echo this in in our hearts if we believe it today as we uh, reflect on Mary, but also as we reflect on surrendering our lives to his power, to his control, to his inclusion and to his love. I am no longer my own but yours, Lord. Put me to what you will and rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Praised and exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, but let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly yield all things to your pleasure and your disposal. 
And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I make here on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. And Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would know that we can hold on to you this Christmas and that you hold on to us. Amen. Mm-hmm.